Thank you for joining us today. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and consider supporting us as a BS crew member. To learn more, go to bumperstickerfaith.com. Now, when I read theology books, and I read quite a lot of them, I can usually tell right away if the author has truly suffered or not. Call it my own arrogance, but I just like to think of it as my BS detector, uh, bumper stickers, that is. My BS detector goes off when an author fails to integrate lived experience with the truths of Scripture. It just seems um, shallow to me. But that's not the case with today's guest, Dr. Ingrid Farrow, who is a preeminent Old Testament scholar of our day. Her suffering serves her scholarship, or better, maybe, her scholarship has served to help her in her suffering. She would not be one uh, glibly to say, mind over matter. Rather, mind within matter, she would say. And because she can integrate the two, she brings to us a new book that actually matters. What's up? What's up today, y'all? This is a uh, BS Faith Bumper Sticker Faith. Man, it's windy out there, but we in uh, what city? The Windy City. Windy City or Windy, windy Suburbs. That's where we, we are. But what's up, my brother? Is it, call, is it called Windy because of the actual wind or because of the politicians? Uh, man, that's a good question. I don't know. I've heard both, actually. Okay, well, then we'll go with both. So how you doing today? Good. I noticed your Kansas City hat. Well, you know, I got to represent, baby. You called that from early on in the season. I did, man, because Mahomes, man, that's the man. Yeah. That's the man. Yeah. They and the Bears, the Bears passed on him. They did? Yeah, they oh, could have yeah, dra- drafted him. I forgot yeah. about that. But they wanted Mitchell Trubisky, the savior oh, yeah. of the world. <laughs> anyway, 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 we got a special, <laughs> special, special guest this morning. Yes, we I don't do. even want to like have any antics or act silly or even say <laughs> nothing else because we need to jump on into this. So, brother, take it. We like it when you act silly. Yes. For sure. <laughs> so today in the BS studio, we have Dr. Ingrid Farrow with us. I feel like we need a button for like applause and people go, yay! I, I, <laughs> there we go. I tried to program that in. But um, but we are so happy to have you now. For um, those of you who don't know, Dr. Farrow Ingrid, um, she teaches Old Testament at Northern Seminary in uh, Illinois, in the suburbs of Illinois. And you also have taught or are a visiting professor in uh, school in Sweden as well. And um, you used you are Swedish. Yes, you used to speak Swedish. Yes, I've lost a lot of it, but yeah, yeah I was fluent. I. Don't practice it. But much. but you could say like good morning. It's nice to meet you. Can you say something? I won't, I never heard yeah, it. Good morning. This is a treffade. Ooh, man. <laughs> is this the first Swedish PhD we've had on the show? It is the first, I and I don't is. know if we'll have another one. So we gotta <laughs> we gotta be very, very good. Yeah, we do. angry because we might want to have her back someday. I would really I would really like that. So we were in we were in a few classes together. I don't know which ones. Probably Advanced Greek Grammar with Carson, I think. Some Old Testament classes, <laughs> maybe some exegesis, Old Testament exegesis classes. Probably. But, um, yes. but I rem- like I rem- and this was this was years ago, like twenty some years ago, and but I remember you. Like I don't know why. Like of my classmates, you've always you stood out. And uh, I remember this Bible that you always used to carry. It was a um, uh, it was a Greek New Testament smashed together with the Hebrew Old Testament in one book. And I thought that's genius because they sold them <laughs> separately, and it was always so inconvenient to buy this expensive Hebrew book and this expensive Greek one. But that they were together in one book, and it's you like, had it. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, it's exactly right. what it was I like. I love peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah. Chunky peanut butter and grape jelly. <laughs> there you go. But I remember you with that, and uh, I I remember your very sweet and kind uh, demeanor, and and also your academic excellence in the things that you said and that. And I knew then, but I, I pretty much kept to myself. A lot most of the time. I didn't talk with many people. 
But at that time, I remember thinking, that's someone I would like to get to know. Mm-hmm. And here, through the circumstances of life, uh, here we are uh, together. And I'm so, so glad. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. So you you teach Old Testament. Right. So what, what are some of the classes that you um, teach? Well, I... At Northern. At, at uh, well, at Northern... Uh, Northern doesn't have the the robust Hebrew program that Ted's okay. did, so I taught Hebrew and Hebrew exegesis at uh, T- Trinity at, Evangelical at Trinity. Yeah, yeah. for uh, ten years, and I taught it in Sweden for a year. Wow. But at uh, at Northern, I teach uh, one of the really fun classes, Women of the Old Testament. Oh, wow. that was really fun. And um, but I also teach basically all of the the whole. Old Testament. So uh, right now I'm teaching Old Testament theology okay. and um, I'll be teaching uh, the uh, former and latter prophets. So the historical books and the prophetic books. Yeah. And of course, my favorite is I love teaching Pentateuch and the wisdom literature. Yeah. And so I love teaching all of it and I and, get to teach all of it. And you have one book published on Genesis, yes. right? At yep. least one. Yeah. What's that one called? Uh, Evil in Genesis. Okay. And it has a very long subtitle. It's basically a rewrite of my dissertation. Okay. Where I studied the use of evil. So what is what what is the word? What does yeah. it mean? And how does that lead to a theology of understanding what does the book of Genesis have to say about evil from the Hebrew text? Wow. And then your new book, which is coming out this year, mm-hmm. later in November, I think. Yes. I wish that were sooner because you gave me a copy of it and I... And I read it, and I'm not. I'm not just saying this, but it's an amazing book. Thank you. It's like, and I, and I read quite a few books, and out of the living authors <laughs> that I've read, um, <laughs> this is up there with w- with those. Um, really, really impactful. Really um, informative as well. Um, and, and it's it's an easy read in the sense that. You go into technical things, sort of, but not like, you know, some academic books do. It's almost as if you're presenting this wonderful, delicious meal, and we and the reader gets to to enjoy it without going through all the recipes and all the years of training and cooking or whatever that you had to do to get there, but... But you you do show your work in that, um, but just a, a wonderful book that weaves your story into it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, as opposed to the, the other book about Genesis and evil that you did, this one's more probably practical for, for people to grab hold of, because in every chapter, there's part of your story. And I found myself, as I was reading it, like flipping ahead to, oh, where's the little sidebar about his story? I can't wait to get to that part. And just when I thought it got, it was interesting, it got, would get even more interesting. But speaking of those seminary classes that we were in together, um, at that time, uh, when, when you were in, this was like 2002, 2003, what was going on in your life that I had no idea about? And I have to admit, I felt kind of ashamed of myself for not you know, looking back in time and thinking, why didn't I know these kinds of things were happening in a, in a classmate's life? But what was going on? Why were you in seminary in the first place? <laughs> That's a really what great question. What were you question. thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? Because you, were, you weren't like the traditional like 22-year-old with mm-hmm. full of energy and brain power, but you were older in life mm-hmm. when you decided to go. So what brought you there? What was going on? Yeah, I was... Um at the time, I was in the insurance industry, and I was running a couple of businesses, and I'd been consulting for another, but uh, uh, but my life had been really crazy and difficult and traumatic, and I'll just mention a couple of highlights. My, uh, my first husband, when I was a dietitian, an associate mm-hmm. professor of nutrition, um, I was in the kind of church that taught you taught everybody that a woman's role was in the home so you're supposed to be married and have children support your husband so my even having an education was you know a little iffy women were supposed to be quiet in the church mm-hmm. and um and they really the the elders ruled and so they said the only way a woman can have any role in ministry is to be married to a minister so basically it was sort of this practical well this is here's a person he's 
He had a third of the New Testament memorized. He was in training to be a pastor. Wow. He was leading Bible studies and little evangelistic crusades in Aurora and so forth. And uh, and so it was. It, it kind of felt a bit more like an arranged marriage mm-hmm. um, because neither of our hearts, I don't think, were really in it. But he was abusive even before we got married and unfaithful. Um, mm-hmm. But I married him anyway because I had been taught very well to submit. And that was part of my growing up mentality as well. So I fit right into the whole, just submit, do what they tell mm-hmm. you. And um, so it was um, it was really rough. I, I didn't get out until after he tried to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord said, gave me wow. these words as I was, you know, when I was alive, uh, the Lord said, if you stay, you will die. Mm-hmm. But, um, but then the Lord also gave me the verse from Psalm 118, wow. you shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Yeah, that verse has been powerful in my life during my darkest moments too. I remember where I was sitting in a coffee shop and I just didn't, like, I didn't want to go on anymore. Yeah. And I came to that verse and it was like, Okay, I can do it it's because it's like so simple. I shall not die, but I shall live. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. okay, yes, let's just concentrate on here and then the purpose and recount the deeds of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But was so that that husband was that the one who broke your nose? Yes, can you tell about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then your sister tried to <laughs> beat him up. Yeah, well, she said she actually didn't hit him. We had okay because I had to, you know. I just am submitting the final draft now. And so we went and she said, I didn't actually hit him, but she, um, but after he broke my nose and that was the first time that I broke my silence also, Mm. but first it was to my family and he was with us. Uh, My parents just kind of, well, you know, you really shouldn't be a doormat. My sister jumped up, ran in the other room and just started yelling at him. I Mm. thought she was hitting him, but um, but again, she's not pro-violence. She's against mm-hmm. it. So she said, I just, you know, and I, I heard her yell, you don't, don't you hurt my sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, tried to kick him out of the house and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he did leave. Uh, but that was seeing her wrath mm-hmm. at the violation that was being done to me was so important in my life. Yep. And it's helped me understand what people, when people talk about the wrath of God mm-hmm. that comes from a love this is wrong. Mm-hmm. There's there, that anger. It gave me the permission to say, oh, start realizing yeah. this isn't right. This yeah. isn't the way it should be. Yeah. And it, it began a process. But I still stayed because mm-hmm. when I called my pastor after breaking, my, uh, having my nose broken um, and the doctors told me, don't go home. And I tried to lie about it. And they said, look, we see the imprint of a ring on your nose. Mm. We know what happened. Mm. So I called the pastor and all he said was, go home and love your husband. So I did until it led. And they did nothing. They stepped in. But, you know, again, a lot of my work now is talking with people Mm -hmm. in abuse, various kinds of abuse situations, Mm -hmm. physical, emotional, spiritual, Mm -hmm. uh, financial, lots of uh, types of abuse. And so... That is all too common a story. So then how did you end up at Trinity then? What was the motivating factors behind that? Well, Did I, you just want to become the next uh, Don Carson and write no books means. and study and have people look up to you and admire you? <laughs> that was the furthest thing from my mind. <laughs> Not that he wants that. <laughs> just <laughs> a little footnote. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, you know, I, I went through a divorce and then I thought, no, I'm disqualified from ever being in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I threw myself into business. That's how I got into the insurance business and, you know, running those companies. I remarried uh, and my second husband um, was, he had been a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he had also been a uh, martial artist. He had studied in Japan. He had he sparred with Bruce Lee and Chuck mm. Norris, and he was uh, and he had been wow. a mercenary for twenty years before I met met him. He was a bit older than I was, and I felt safe. Yeah, yeah. safety was very important mm. to me at that moment. And he was also saw me as somebody who was strong, and I no longer saw myself that way. Mm-hmm. And he was a brand new Christian and really trying to understand what it meant to be a good man. He went from mm-hmm. being, you know, among some of the most horrible individuals you could ever meet mm-hmm. and just God so incredibly redeemed him. Mm-hmm. So, but um, mm-hmm. again, part of the long story, we, we, we got married and had this wonderful dream that maybe God actually wants us happy. Mm-hmm. And that had been the furthest thing from either of our minds. Mm-hmm. And so what we had in common was deep grief and trauma. 
And so, uh, but when our, and we decided let's have a family. And so, um, when my, our son was born, um, you know, he was checking to see if there were deformities because he, you know, he had had so much Agent Orange exposure oh, yeah. and during mm. his years as a mercenary drugs and, you know, just all kind of burnout. And here we had this healthy little boy. But by the time our son was two, uh, my husband um, became sick and mm. was sick for nine years. And um, it was really, really rough because mm-hmm. he was in excruciating pain mm. for especially, you know, the last years of his mm-hmm. life. But um, during the last, what I didn't know was going to be the last couple of years of his life. Um, and it was so hard um, because, you know, this, it was like the dreams were just falling apart. Mm-hmm. We were just in and out of emergency rooms and life was continual trauma, really. Um, and God sat me down. I had worked myself into a disability because I didn't want to think. I didn't want mm-hmm. to feel. And as long as I kept working and having success in my businesses, I didn't have to think or feel. I could just be a workaholic. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I say my my drug of choice was adrenaline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it just as long as I had adrenaline going through me, you know, I could keep going. And uh, but once I got a disability, I had to actually, you know, I knew God told me sit in that big comfy chair and stare out that window for one hour every day, two, three minutes. I was like, no, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But eventually as Mm -hmm. I did, I started to hear my own thoughts as well as allow God to speak to Mm me. And, uh, and during that process, um, God said, you go get answers. And for you, you go get them out of the Greek and the Hebrew from Mm -hmm. scripture Wow. And so that's what led me to seminary. And mm-hmm. when God told me to go to seminary, you know, I said, I, I don't, you know, they said that I can't, they say that I shouldn't, I don't even know if I can, I don't know if the spark plugs will still fire. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's like, that's a pretty intense exactly. stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it is intense. Yeah. But I had a fear of God moment and that's when I really learned to love the fear of God. I saw myself standing before the throne of God, just this bright white light. Mm-hmm. And I saw myself there on the judgment saying, but they said I couldn't, they said I shouldn't and mm. all that. And I just, and just this voice spoke out of this bright light saying, what did I tell you to do? Mm. Next day I was looking up, <laughs> where's the best place to go for mm. Greek and Hebrew? That's how I ended up okay, at TED's. Yep. Uh, two years into my Master of Divinity program, my husband took his life. Wow. Mm. And, um, and. And also when I started the Master of Divinity program, the person that had been my right hand in business for nine years that I had trusted completely and I had given her more authority and mm-hmm. I had made the mistake of giving her check signing authority. She had been taking monies out of our premium trust fund account. Mm-hmm. And uh, that led within two years after my husband's death to me losing everything because she had their money wasn't there in the premium trust fund account. So mm-hmm. I'm still in the MDiv program. So I've lost my husband. My son is already you know, kind of on the edge. Mm-hmm. He's feeling guilty. And then financially I lose everything. And, um, I was homeless then for a bit and wow. my son completely left. He, and he was like 13. He at was the 13. Time? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. What a time. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, um, yeah, it was, a. So all that was going on mm-hmm. during my MDiv program. So instead of finishing it in three, four years, it took seven years because I had to work and restart mm-hmm. a business and everything that I was making mm-hmm. was going out to pay other people's insurance claims. And so, but, um, so by the time I finished my MDiv program, I was like, you know, God, I know the Bible says that you're good, but for me, mm-hmm. it's just a theological construct. I don't know mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. good. And here, you know, I'd, I'd learned Greek and Hebrew, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but I knew God told me to go on for a PhD as well. And it wasn't for a claim. It was God said, there are things that, that you're going to learn that people will only listen to if you have this degree, mm-hmm. um, especially being a woman in academia. I remember when I was in the PhD program, a good friend who's a professor told me all the places I would never work. Uh, because oh, I was a wow. woman and I was divorced. Mm. Wow. And uh, and so, I mean, gave me the long list of yeah. all the seminaries I could never even apply to. And that's mm. a reality. It's, it's a reality. It's absolutely. Absolutely a reality. Yep. And even being a, a woman in seminary, there'd be students, and thankfully not not so much professors, but mm-hmm. students who'd say, you know, what are you doing in this program? You're mm-hmm. a woman. You're not allowed to, you know, what are you in the MD- <laughs> Master of Divinity program for? And in the Old Testament, too. Yeah. yeah. That's even rarer, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, but it was great professors yeah. in the Old Testament program. They really 
came alongside, encouraged me. Mm-hmm. And so I started teaching while, when I'd started uh, my PhD program because I, I, I already knew modern Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So the Hebrew came easily for me. Okay. So I struggled with Hebrew. Yeah. It's, <laughs> people are either a Greek or a Hebrew <laughs> yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Genesis has meant a lot to you and you keep in your books anyways, going back to that, yeah. searching for searching for something, right? Yes. Uh, especially the first few chapters about uh, the problem of evil. And mm-hmm. so um, I don't even know what to ask about this because there's, there's so many questions that I have. Um, but what, what, what are you searching for in those uh, first three chapters of Genesis? And what have you found that, that has helped you? Yeah, it was in studying the first three and even four chapters of yeah. Genesis. It was studying that in in the Hebrew and just spending the time and mm-hmm. what does this really have to say? Because this is the origins of where where did evil come from? Mm-hmm. What is the conflict between good and evil? You know, where is God in it? It's mm-hmm. it's in those first chapters, and um, and it was in studying those that I felt I finally understood the gospel for the first time, mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. it laid out. Who is God? Mm-hmm. What is goodness? Because again, I I wasn't sure. I w- when I started my PhD mm-hmm. program, I my question was why is there evil? Why is you know is God actually really yeah. good? Is God actually really just? Who are we? You know, and mm-hmm. and so all of the basic questions about who is God? Mm-hmm. Who are we? Uh, why is there all this death yeah. and mess in this world? Why do people, you know, Cain and Abel first, why, you know, why do people kill their own family mm-hmm. members? You know, it's, it's, it was all right mm-hmm. there. And all the connections then mm-hmm. are made all the way through the rest yeah. of scripture. Every book of the Bible then has these connections mm-hmm. with those first chapters yeah, of Genesis. Everything else riffs on Genesis. <laughs> it does. <laughs> right? Exactly right. Everything yeah. else riffs and on Genesis. And in, in your new book, it's going to be called Demystifying Evil. Or deconstructing evil, I think it's demystifying. Demystifying evil. is the one yeah. they went with, yeah. Um, but you you tell that story and you and you draw out those things in in the rest of scripture. And there's I, like I can't wait for the book to come out to give it to people. And that there's there's even chapters on like word studies on spiritual beings like angels and demons. And I'm de- like I was shocked. I'm like wow, there are a lot of passages in the Bible about these things that, you know, that are helpful. So, and then weaving your own story in and out of that. So I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about that, but I guess backing back up to, um, to Genesis, I want you to talk about, uh, humans being created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Like why were we created? What were we created to do? Cause I think that's helpful in mm-hmm. kind of setting the stage. Yeah. That, um, the studies on being God's image have been life transforming mm-hmm. for me in every way. And it's so foundational to the worldview that we as Christians should have been being taught mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. But some of the insights came from archaeology, came mm-hmm. from studying ancient texts, which again, archaeology is relatively new in the history of the world. Of course, you know, it was their the people's own history when mm-hmm. it was being taught and written, and it, these things were known in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, mm-hmm. and um, so the original uh, readers of it and I uh, had an awareness. But so the uh, w- in Genesis one twenty six, you know, let us make on the word there is Adam mm-hmm. in our image according to our likeness, so that they may rule, and that would be a good Hebrew translation because mm-hmm. it's a purpose clause. So we, we're going to make these people that are image bearers for the purpose of ruling over the birds and the beasts and so mm-hmm. forth. And I, I always like to make the note. It, does, it says over all of, all of these things except mm-hmm. humans. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'll, I'll just make a little side mm-hmm. comment. It's in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 7 where, uh, where Cain is already contemplating killing his brother because he's jealous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and God says to him, you know, Mm, basically why are you mad sin is crouching at the door it's desires for you but you must rule over it so the only the only other humans were given the right to control is our own self Mm. our own jealousies our own inclinations Mm. toward doing bad towards somebody else that is we are to rule over ourselves Mm -hmm. because and again here i riff genesis Mm -hmm. where jesus says you know the the 
the rulers of this world lord it over them. And Mm -hmm. and it's a word, you know, they they try to take dominion over Mm -hmm. other people, but it must not be so among Mm -hmm. you, but but we are to serve one Mm -hmm. another. So the one who is the first is to serve. Mm -hmm. And so that also gives a picture of who is God? What does it mean to be an image bearer? So even without the the ancient Near Eastern, if you just follow the use of image of God throughout Mm -hmm. all of scripture, and you get to Jesus, who is the image of God, Mm -hmm. if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what does Jesus do the night before his, his crucifixion? He takes on the towel, the lowest job in mm-hmm. every household, the lowest mm-hmm. slave was the one who washed the feet of the people who came in. And that's mm-hmm. Jesus takes on yeah. that role, the lowest slave in the household, washing the mm-hmm. feet of his disciples. And he said, if I, your Lord and master, do this to you, this is how you're to treat one another. So God himself is saying, I come, I have come to you as a servant. Mm-hmm. This is how you image me. This right? is how you image me. Yeah. This is how you use power. Mm-hmm. And and the word in image, I mean, that's when Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, he made them like I, idols, right? That's the word for yes. idol in Hebrew, isn't it? Yes. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So who made the first idols in the Bible? Mm-hmm. It was God. It was God. And they were humans. Yes. Yeah. And 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 you brought in like the ancient Near East kind of cultural things. Um, you want me to riff on that yeah, a little bit? Yeah, okay. about the statues. Yeah, it, it's so fun because they've, you know, they found statues of kings and rulers, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the ancient Near East, just like we still, you know, Saddam Hussein, you know, and they toppled. It was huge, you know, a huge statue. So it's it's all the way through history. But in the ancient Near East, they would also have these inscriptions. And mm-hmm. so one of the uh, inscriptions that they found was of a, a king uh, who had uh, this is the image and likeness of the king using mm-hmm. the same. Uh, Semitic mm-hmm. words, the same words as you find in Genesis. So it has the same words in the same order. This is the image and likeness of the king. And, and so, you know, people have seen, everybody's seen statues of Ramses, you know, so, um, but in the rest of the ancient Near East, it, the only uh, statues were only made of kings and rulers, people who mattered, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, the, these, the big rulers or gods, mm-hmm. or else they would make a statue to make it a god. And that ends up going a little bit into Genesis chapter mm-hmm. two as well. And so, uh, but in the ancient Near East, the, the, the kings were generally considered gods. They could, the people would look at them. And then these inscriptions would have things like, the way you treat this image is the way you're treating the king himself. Mm-hmm. If you bring gifts to this image, you know, uh, then you're, it's as if you're bringing gifts to the king himself. This statue represents the king and the king's government. Mm-hmm. And so, but if you mar this statue, mm-hmm. then may then it is the same as if you're doing this to the king himself. And so you hear that language and you think of Jesus' words, mm-hmm. whatsoever you've done to me, or whatsoever you've done to the least of these, mm-hmm. you've done to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So God takes personally mm-hmm. the way we treat others. And so some people have thought, well, you know, maybe we lost the image of God after. So we're, just to be clear, we're his statues, yes. quote unquote statues in this world. We're his image. Yeah. We are his yeah. image. And in light of the prohibition against making statues, we are the only legitimate statue yeah, of yeah, God. Yeah. So when people look at us, they're supposed to be saying, image of God, image mm-hmm. of God, you represent God. So what what God was saying in that, I have made you my image bearer, it means you are in this earth as a physical representation of me. You're my ambassador. You're my co-ruler. Mm-hmm. You are, and also the language, there's parenting language, which we get when we get to Genesis 5, when, and you know, God made Adam, the, the man, mm-hmm. Adam, which is mm-hmm. the word for humanity in the mm-hmm. Hebrew. And, uh, and then Adam had children in his image. So it's parenting language. So we are God's children. Mm. It's also royalty language in that passage to rule. So we are royal sons and daughters. Mm. Every human being is the son and daughter of the most high God. Mm. But anytime we mar any other human being, and this comes back then in Genesis 9, right after the flood, Mm -hmm. where God says, don't if even an animal does damage to a human being, Mm. much less a human being, uh, God says, he's taking it personally. He said, because you are made in my image. So whatever you do to another person, God is taking it mm-hmm. personally. 
every human being. And this is why it's so different from every other ancient mm-hmm. Near East, where it's only the kings were got the statues. Mm-hmm. But in God's, every single one of us is God's statue, mm-hmm. God's image. Mm-hmm. And so every one of us has the dignity of God. Even if sin has marred us. Even if sin has marred us. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, you know, because it's taking me to like the New Testament where Paul is talking about like this is how we become the sons of God. You know, and also daughters of God when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And so I'm listening and I'm like, how does how does that how does that go together? Because my mindset has always been, yes, we are image bearers of God, but sin has kind of stricken that, but it can be reestablished in Christ and through Christ, but maybe not. I don't know. So Oh, absolutely. So Jesus Jesus is this is the image of God. You know, he is uh, but then we are to be transformed into that image okay, according to okay. his likeness okay, by okay. the renewing of our mind. So mm-hmm. first through faith, Jesus made the way. But every human being throughout history, God has considered. So that's why God holds yeah. all the nations accountable mm-hmm. okay. for the way they treat other people. That's part of the covenant under Noah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all nations, that's where you hear the prophets. They're angry You know, through, mm-hmm. through God is angry at all the nations because everybody is supposed to know mm-hmm. that every other human being has value. And so no matter if it's one person, no matter how poor they are, no matter what their situation, Mm. God holds them accountable and he holds us accountable Mm. for how we treat every other, but especially through Christ, that's where it's like the the restoration. First of all, we see, oh, this is what it's like. This is what God is like, but this is also what it's like to be a human being. Mm. Jesus being fully Mm. God and fully human, we look at Jesus and say, this is what it means to be a human being. So if I say, oh, but I'm only human, you're not understanding what it means to be a human being. Because a true human being, as you said, serves. Yes. Like we're being remade into that image of Christ. He's lifting us up into himself, but and he's, um, he's doing what Adam was supposed to do, right? Yes. We're redeemed to do that. Um, that was our purpose. You said something interesting. We're going to get to a break here in a minute, but... Um, you said some wrote something interesting in the book that got me thinking uh, about um, Jesus and his miracles, mm. and you and you trace this out well. And after a section on um, evil or yeah, suffering in nature and that, but then then you say something to the effect of when you see Jesus's power over creation and the miracles that he did. It's almost as if, and maybe you didn't say this exactly, maybe this is me wanting you to say it, uh, or in my own mind, but it's almost as if we were meant to be like that. Yes. So like when confronted with like a natural calamity and Jesus says to the storm, be still, Mm -hmm. in a sense, had we not fallen, perhaps we humans would have been able to do that. And and when confronted with a natural calamity, Mm -hmm. we'd be not that those wouldn't exist, but we would have the ability to... Um, to to speak over that and rule over that. I don't know if absolutely. And I just, a, just an amazing idea. As we're being restored into him, his image, like you said, he's just being what we're meant to be all along. Right. 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 Yes. And so I do pray. You know, when I hear of natural disasters happening and and so forth, and and so we have to recognize where, what is my jurisdiction as mm-hmm. well. Where what is the realm in which God has given me authority. So people who ask me to pray for them, now they're, they have become under the realm of the authority God has given me. Mm-hmm. Uh, places where I live, where I have, fa- you know, places, again, where I have um, jurisdiction, so to mm-hmm. speak, in the spiritual realm and the physical realm, I have authority to pray and I will pray. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard a pastor uh, in Florida, and I, I don't want to get too far off on it, but um, who had lived in a hurricane zone, and the Lord gave him some dreams about that there was a hurricane coming, the name of the hurricane, you know, those are all named mm-hmm. in advance, where it was going to hit, and that he and his church needed to pray that this disaster would not happen. And he th- and you know, and he had come from a Reformed theological seminary, mm. so he was like, "Am I even you know, allowed to do this?" You know, mm. but he prayed and started consulting with you know other. And other people started having dreams. And, you know, in short, they ended up having multiple churches just praying. And it even made the news two, uh, two weeks before this storm actually hit, mm. saying, you know, so we understand, Pastor, that you and uh, you're leading a prayer that there's this hurricane named blah, 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 that's going to hit here and there. And you're praying that that won't happen. And he's like, well, you know, 
he's he's trying to be really careful. He doesn't want to look like a total freak. He said, we just mm-hmm. believe that God has showed us some things. So we're just, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be obedient. Sure enough, that hurricane that it was initially supposed to hit somewhere else came around and, and it was like a category. Five. It dropped down mm-hmm. like a category one. And it still hit exactly where God had told told these people wow. to pray. But it had so dropped mm-hmm. down and hit right during rush hour. If it had come in the full force, there would have been massive mm-hmm. killings. I think five people did die because there were some... Mm-hmm. waves but nothing like and in the ten, and then he showed this was 10 years later a news reporter said you know the weather pattern in this area is you know something has changed we're not having hur- we haven't had hurricanes mm-hmm. in this area for 10 years mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hit wow. other places so i just say wow. you know i believe there's so much more that we can understand than than we do man this oh man i'm just soaking it in baby soaking it in <laughs> All right, we'll be back. say that the Bible doesn't ask like what is evil or like why did evil happen like it doesn't necessarily address those but it addresses how will you respond to evil so talk talk more about that yeah that is one of the interesting things as I've read and studied and interacted with other scholarship is it's 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 not addressing the questions that we tend to have with our philosophical more Greek mindset mm-hmm. it's just assuming it says there's evil. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that really becomes the issue. So we still, and I still address, you know, where does evil come from mm-hmm. and what are the origins and so forth? But uh, but the Bible simply acknowledges mm-hmm. evil is in the mm-hmm. world. And if we as a church just talked about that mm-hmm. more freely mm-hmm. and openly, because most of the churches that I was, that you know, that I've been in and so many that I hear, at least in, you know, in the modern, you know, in, in, in the U.S., um, they don't want to talk about evil. They don't want to talk about bad things. We don't want to hear other people's problems when people are mm. suffering or in pain. They don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. We just ignore it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I quote N.T. Wright in his book, Evil and the Justice of God. He says people tend to approach evil in three ways. First, they don't expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. So second, when it happens, it slaps them in the face. And he said, third, therefore, they tend to respond in immature and dangerous ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's what we see. And so we need to be having the conversations. There is evil. We are going to experience suffering. You know, I was, I had this, you know, mindset. I thought even when I went to seminary, oh, now I'm, I'm in seminary. I'm doing God's will. Nothing bad's going to yep. happen to me. Yep. Oh, and that's when all hell broke there loose. There ain't no doubt. You put a target on your back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. That's it. And yeah. It was really helpful the way that you, um, you broke down into the different parts in your book uh, for me. So you talk about evil and it's um, natural and then like in the natural world and then human causes for evil and then the unseen spiritual forces at work. So like as I was as I was reading it, even just after the the first section about action consequence, which I want you to talk about in a second here, but even after that whole section, <laughs> I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, it's uh, perfectly obvious why there's evil in this world, and I'm a lot to blame for, and so is everybody else. And now they're like, you don't have to sell it anymore, <laughs> you know. I I know where evil comes from. It comes comes from me. But then you do go on and talk about natural forms of evil. And then in the cosmic world, angels and demons and that. So just a really ro- kind of a robust understanding of different forms of evil and suffering in our world. But I want to back up to the action consequence mm. and the cosmic seed. That's been really helpful to me as I've just been then moving throughout my day and, and thinking to myself, okay, what seed am I about to plant here yeah. in my life and how will it how will it grow up? You know, you reap what you sow. But talk about the ac- action consequence. Yeah, and action consequence is the oldest and most prevalent 
way that people think about why do good and bad things happen. So karma is what usually people mm-hmm. think of. You know, most of the Buddhist forms of religion believe in the law of act- of cause and effect okay. is what they call it. Uh, where uh, and and in some of the religions, there everything is based on cause and effect, and cause and effect is um, what in, in the Book of Job. You know, a good 30 mm-hmm. chapters are just arguing, you must have done something wrong for this to have happened. And Job said, no, I didn't. And, you know, and there's uh, they found a uh, prayer of the righteous sufferer. Mm-hmm. So we're in an ancient Mesopotamian where they're saying, whatever God I offended, please forgive me. And he goes through all the gods, you know, if I, whoever I offended, you know. So yeah. that's the most natural thing. But there, that is a reason. It's just it, the Bible points out that's not the only reason mm-hmm. things happen. So Job is an example. Naomi, which, who some people call the female Job in the Bible and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, but we do have to, that is, the, that is a, a place to start mm-hmm. uh, because it's... Um, the concept of seed starts also mm-hmm. in Genesis one, that everything produces after its kind, and in uh, you know the word seed in both the Greek and the Hebrew, seed and sperm are the same word. So mm-hmm. you plant a tomato, you get a tomato. You plant a bull, you get a bull. You know a cow or a bull. You know so it's so there is that natural side, um, and we don't really understand how life can come from mm-hmm. a seed, but seeds have life in themselves. Yeah, and so uh, Jesus uses the parable. Um, the sower sows the word. Mm-hmm. So God uses the word seed to understand how his word works as mm-hmm. well. There is life in God's word mm-hmm. that produces according to its kind mm-hmm. as well. And so also then the words that we say and the thoughts that we believe are also seed. So seed mm-hmm. thoughts. So that's why, you know, the, there is this term cosmic seed because it's it's there's there is a universal understanding but we need to pay attention because mm-hmm. so often we don't notice the thoughts in our own head and um and the seeds that they're planting exactly yeah and so what seeds am i planting when i speak to somebody what are the seeds mm-hmm. that people have planted in my mind yeah. from even before yep. cognitive memory yep. and most traumas i believe begin before we're able to even consider what happened, mm-hmm. where we're hearing words of hate or bitterness mm-hmm. or where things are being told, ah, oh, you'll never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just quit, you know, just all mm-hmm. of the, So what are those things? You know, I'll never be loved. You know, mm-hmm. that, that can start in the womb. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and, and even in the womb, babies are hearing what's mm-hmm. happening in the household and what's going on, you know, traumas and so forth. They can show that traumas could even start like a twin that's lost. So trauma starts so early and, and so much of it, of trauma are the lies that have become mm-hmm. embedded that we're not even conscious of. Mm-hmm. We're not even thinking we of. We can't downplay those. No. That's what I think we just think that words could be random. They're, mm-hmm. They can just go away. They can, no, but every word that we say is a, is a sperm os, a seed it is. that yes. it's going to grow someplace. Yes. Right. Yep. yep. It's like, I don't know, spray paint. If you spray spray paint, Something's going to get colored. Yes. Right. Right. And if you spray these kinds of seed stories in your life, it's going to start affecting things. Yes. Based on what you say, but based on what's said to you, I I think people, we in our culture today, we have so, there's so much of scientism, I guess, Mm -hmm. that doesn't allow for these greater realities to, um, to affect us and to let us know we're living in a spiritual world. We're living Mm -hmm. in God's world where things, everything's connected and everything matters, right? Yes. It yes. brings to life that verse, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Exactly. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And to really be paying attention. So I've learned, like, even if even if I'm in the car and I hear something on the radio that's, you know, oh, it's flu season, and I'll, I'll if I'm by myself, because if I'm in public, I don't want people to think I'm crazy, I'll just say, not for me. Mm-hmm. I don't receive that seed in mm-hmm. my mind as I am not getting the flu. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you know that's a small example, but you know, everything to it's w- so yeah. yeah and yeah. I appreciated those examples uh, in the book about how you recognize that some some of my like physical ailments and, the, mm-hmm. and those around me were tied to burdensome suffering stories yes. or trauma that had happened, and then once that was realized, mm-hmm. then uh, it went away. Yes. And I've heard that in my life over and over and over again from different cases and different stories. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, you know, and, yeah. and other books like mm. that, that they recognize, you know, that 
things that we've heard and experienced that, you know, if we mm-hmm. let those grow root in our life, mm-hmm. you know, I, even the way I got saved, one of the, the, the night I got saved, God removed a root of bitterness. Mm-hmm. I felt it coming mm-hmm. out of my body. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a seed that had grown and had mm-hmm. infected my entire being. My every part of me mm-hmm. was just bitter and angry mm-hmm. and God removed it. And it was dramatic. So not all of them are that dramatic, but we have to pay attention. What are the thoughts? And so now whenever I am triggered, if I notice that was, I overreacted to that. What's the lie connected to it? Mm-hmm. That'll be the first place I'll go. What's mm-hmm. the lie connected? Mm-hmm. What am I believing? Mm-hmm. And I'll just go before the Lord and say, Lord, just show me, show mm-hmm. me what's, what, what, what's yanking my chain? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. What is this attached to? Yeah. yeah that's, that's, we were, um, in Cook County Jail Monday, mm. we're going over a course called Overcoming Abuse. Mm. And so all we're like in Chapter 10, and it was talking about different abuses and how, um, you know, a lot of times the abuse becomes the abuser. And mm. like how we've been traumatized as young people, and then that plays out in our life, in the, fu- in the future, our future life. And we may not understand or recognize I, I didn't use this language, but I will now. This seed that mm-hmm. was planted in us so many years ago and what's causing us to act and behave the way we do. And I, I believe that the only way we can really find healing is that, in that is to get to the root. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, almost in a sense, find that seed and like mm-hmm. uproot it or unpluck it and get it out. Yeah. Like you talked about that root of bitterness coming out of you. Like, mm-hmm. and it's hard, it's hard work, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I battle with, I mean, I had a lot of seeds like that scattered mm-hmm. in my life at an early age and I embraced it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I became the epitome of it. Like those things took deep root in me and I became the fruit of what those seeds were supposed to be. And then in Christ, all that changed because my, for some reason, it wasn't in me anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ways weren't, at least some still lingered and even still do. Mm-hmm. But but it's hard, man, like like finding that stuff and and going to God and ask him to help. And then there's work you got to do. Is, and it's not always Lord just take it and he does. Cause right. sometimes he does. I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to like almost like Paul, you know, this thorn in his flesh. Like you got to keep wrestling with that mm-hmm. thing every time. And maybe God says, man, my mm-hmm. grace mm-hmm. is sufficient. You know, you're going to have to wrestle with this thing. Yes. And it's, you know, it's like, I, I'm always like, I got more than one thing. I got like 50 things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, golly. Yeah. And our whole life. Because, you know, things will keep, I'm, you know, I, everyone saw something new and, I, you know, so I quit saying, you know, shouldn't I have not learned this by now? It's like, Lord, your whole life, mm-hmm. your whole life. And there could be new seeds. New, exactly. So you got to shield off the new ones while yes. you're trying to get the old ones out. Mm-hmm. So it's, I man, it's tough, man. And I yeah, think the first tough. step, though, is to recognize it. Yeah. Even in, uh, later on in the final chapter, I think, of your book, you talk about, I, I forget the other two steps, but the first one is to, like, when someone does something against you, obviously you have to say it like mm-hmm. you did this, this hurt me. Right. And then you have to move on to, I think you said forgive was one of the steps and then code it with mercy or something like that. But the the first step of, of just owning it. And that's something that I've struggled with mm-hmm. my whole life. Yeah. And to be able to say to someone, to be able to admit that I was hurt by that. Mm-hmm. You said that that hurt yeah. because if we don't do that, if we pretend, Oh no, it's okay. I'm a Christian. I can get over it. It's like if I punch you in the chest and it hurts, you go, ouch. <laughs> but if it's not a physical yeah, yeah. wound, why don't we say, ouch? Yes. But yeah. then we just, when we don't say, ouch, and we don't call it for what it is, mm-hmm. then those seeds start when we don't pull out the weeds right away mm-hmm. and they just start to grow yep. and they come up in nasty freakish bearing fruit you know, later. And that's, I can, I can attest to that. Yeah. So for me, part of a healing journey has been to be able to, when someone wrongs me or when I'm uncomfortable, or maybe I've took it the wrong way, mm-hmm. just to be able to say, this is how I'm experiencing it. Right. This is what happened. This is what I feel. It's so crucial. Yeah, and I think, I think for me personally, I totally identify with that. But then there's this thing of being a man, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah. showing weakness. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes it's like I learned in marriage, like you don't fight every battle. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you do punch me figuratively and it's an ouch, it's like, well, that was kind of a small ouch. So I'll just let that go because it's not that big a deal. And it's like, I guess as it festers or if it does fester, then it becomes a big deal. Mm-hmm. Then we do need to say something. But I feel like even growing up from a child into adulthood, we're taught like to 
think about these things before we just like make a big deal out of it. Like don't make mm-hmm. a mountain out of a molehill type of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's for me is trying to find that that balance of what do I say ouch to mm-hmm. and what don't I say ouch to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like should we should we say it to everything or should we say it? it's definitely not we should say it to nothing but should mm-hmm. we say it to everything? Yeah, yeah. And you know you brought up the word forgiveness and I just need to feel like I I because I see people banter around forgiveness. Oh, just forgive them. Why haven't you forgiven them? As mm-hmm. if it's cheap. Mm-hmm. As if it's you know just like a piece of paper mm-hmm. you can hand over. Forgiveness is hard work. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is costly. Mm-hmm. It's not just something you say and everything is okay. Mm-hmm. God paid the highest price to forgive us, his own son. Mm-hmm. God came to earth mm-hmm. and his part of his mission was all, was so that we would be forgiven. Mm-hmm. It cost life. Martin Lloyd-Jones always used to say, he always used to phrase it like this. He said, forgive me for saying this, <laughs> but dare I say that the hardest thing God ever had to do was to forgive. Yes. And the one... There's only one instance in the whole New Testament in the Gospels where the the disciples say, increase our faith. And that's when Jesus says, you know, forgive them. You know, seven times they say, oh, Lord, increase our faith. That's the heart. You know, miracles, no problem. You know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, Lord, increase our faith. That's the hardest thing to do because it's Mm. a process. And, And the other may not respond. And so there's, you know, there's a whole lot that we could go into, but. How are you able to forgive? Mm. I'm especially thinking about uh, a man who tried to kill you, Mm -hmm. kneeling on your, kneeling on your chest, choking you with his hands. Mm -hmm. Um, By God's grace and a miracle, he didn't. Um, How are you able to forgive people in life? I'm just getting off script, but I think people want to know that. I think I want to know that. Yeah. Uh, the first is, um, is to call it out mm-hmm. in, in myself, even, you know, he ended up dying. And so I, you know, I, there was never any personal reconciliation that mm-hmm. could happen there. He ended up dying in a hit and run, but, um, but I first had to call it, this was evil. This was a violation against me. This was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Edith Egger, who's a clinical psychologist, Holocaust survivor, uh, in in one, her book, her last chapter on, um, it's called "There Is No Forgiveness Without Rage," mm. and I read that. And I said, "Oh, I got to read this book." Mm. <laughs> so, mm. uh, because w- we do have to recognize that there was a there was a transgression, a violation. There was a wrong that was done, and so first you got to name the evil mm-hmm. in your own self and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And, um, and then again, depending on the depth of the trauma and so forth, for me, I did some, um, just inviting Jesus into that space and doing it with someone, depending on how mm-hmm. severe the violations were, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, for me, I went to some really, you know, a couple of really wonderful counselors mm-hmm. that helped me just walk mm-hmm. through why asking myself questions. Why did I stay? Why did I put up with it? What were the things that I believed that made me think that I had to? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's not just because you think you're unworthy. Sometimes it's because you actually think if I just work hard enough, I can change this person, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's different things. So evaluating what, what is going on in me, what is the the hurt in me that allowed it? Um, and so forgiveness is a process that you have to go through and uh, and coming to a place for the word forgive, you know, both in the Greek and Hebrew, f- have a sense of a release. So it's giving it to God. Yeah, yeah. It's like that saying I heard on a movie: uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, waiting on your enemy to die. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Because the the person who perpetrated it, you know, they may know they, they're trial out a lot, yeah. lot, just yeah. driving through life like there's no problem. You're the one that's like burning yeah. inside, yes, and it's killing you. Yep, it, and it is. It's it's burn. It's like holding your fl- your hand on a hot mm-hmm. flame. Yeah. You know, it's 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 it burns your own soul, and so it's for you. There may never be reconciliation if the other person's not willing but the forgiveness is is and that's why they have the lament psalms almost a third of the psalms Mm -hmm. the biggest genre Mm -hmm. of psalms are lament psalms Mm -hmm. because it to help give us language sometimes to say here god you know here i i I can't carry this Mm -hmm. you carry it for me yeah i I was a person that held grudges like bullheaded vengeful Mm -hmm. you know and then some years after I 
gave my life to Christ, God gave me a gift, and the gift was this. It's easy for me to forgive when people do stuff to me because I've done such egregious things to people that it's almost like, come on with it. Yeah. You know, which I'm not saying is a good thing, but it's a it's a humbling thing for me because I I God gave me the gift of realizing how much evil I've caused in the world and how much I've not just hurt people, but I've hurt him. Mm-hmm. And then when people are hurting me, I don't just I'm not gonna stick around and keep doing like, oh, mm-hmm. just keep beating me. Yeah. But like it's you know, it's a I call it a gift because it's easy for me to get over. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I can't I can't quite understand it. And that's the best words I can put it in, but it's weird, but it's good because I can travel through life and be able to let these things go and not let them affect me. Yeah. So long as I think you don't, which I know you're not saying, but like the fine line for me is realizing, oh, I've done all these bad things. I deserve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I deserve for no. you to do this to me. So, yeah, no. So I'm long as we that. don't catch ourselves saying yeah. saying that, saying that. Because yeah. then that would go against naming evil for what it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I think along those lines, I want to quote a couple of things and talk about um, evil. Let's flip it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so not as us as the victim, but us as the cause, causers of evil, the yes. doers of evil. I remember um, reading this quote from Plato, the philosopher of all people. And he said something to the effect of, he who commits an injustice is made far more wicked than the one who suffers it. So he who commits the injustice is made far more wretched. That was the word he uses, far more wretched than the one who suffers it. And I sat there wrestling with that thinking after I realized what he was getting at. And I thought, there's a lot of truth to that. Like the one, and, and I remember reading that and I brought it to um, my small group and I I asked the guys, there was a, a room full of guys, and this was right around the time of the Highland Park shooting. Mm. And they were all in a rage about it, you know, wanting to get this guy and that. And I, I brought that quote to them, but then I also said, if you had to choose whether to be the shooter or the ones being shot, if you had to put yourself in that scenario, <laughs> which one would you want to be? And to a man, there's like, 10 to 12 guys there. They're like, oh, we'd rather be shot rather than be the shooter. Mm. He who commits an injustice is made far more wretched than the ones who suffers it. There's something about like, we don't want to (laughs) be, I mean, if we're in touch with ourselves and God, we don't want to be the perpetrator of crimes. Mm. Like it's a horrible position to be in and talk about then seeds that can grow in you and lead to even more wickedness if you don't deal with it the right way. But there was a part in uh, kind of a phrase in your book that was really helpful to me. Uh, you, I think you were talking about repentance, but you said, if you turn around an evildoer, then you turn around evil for good. Yeah, Such a great phrase. If you turn around an evildoer, mm-hmm. so if you help someone who has sinned to repent of their sin, mm-hmm. then that's how you cause sin or evil to work for the good, like Romans eight twenty eight, right? Yes. And that's true of every one of our lives. Because whether we've been an aggressive evildoer mm-hmm. or a passive evildoer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was a passive evildoer because I would see things happen and be like, Oh, there's nothing I can do about it, you know, and and so it's but it's all part of evil doing, you know, like uh, John Stuart Mills that I quote in there, all it takes for, uh, no, I'm not quoting it right, for uh, bad to win basically is for good men to stand by and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, you know, and that's so much of we look at, you know, when I see people who are taking videos of a uh, at a crime scene, you know, like a George Floyd, all yeah. these people taking mm-hmm. videos. Nobody Why didn't somebody go up there come and ju- knock that dude off? Exactly, of mm-hmm. exactly. I would. I'd have no thought about it. Knock that police out. Yep. Yeah, and like maybe saved his life. I'd have went to jail, but I know you would have. That dude yeah. wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. And if we look at that, and every mm-hmm. you know, in every even like this Highland Park shooter, you know, that there was somebody that did not step in. Mm-hmm. And so all evil is an accumulation. Uh, Abraham Heschel, I love his book mm-hmm. on the prophets. And in his first chapter, he has these powerful things. I wish I could quote him exactly, but if you haven't read them, it's just beautiful. Uh, but you know, basically he says, you know, if everybody was conscious of try- seeking to protect every other person, so it goes back to the image. And that's what we're meant to do, yeah. Exactly. If every of us, every mm-hmm. one of us, that was our mindset that 
any slight against any other human being is not acceptable. It's a disaster. It's a catastrophe Mm -hmm. to the world. And if every one of us had that mentality, then our communities, our society, there would be no crime. But because we go, eh, it's not my problem, or I can't do anything, or it's too big. None of my business. Yeah, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I could lose my job. You know, you look at all these workplaces where, you know, it's just endless because our... You know, one friend called it, I thought it was so good, the golden calf of success. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the golden calf of comfort. Mm-hmm. I'd rather yeah. keep my comfort. Yeah, complacency. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, oh, I'm t- is it worth the mm-hmm. risk? You know, should I really say anything? And so if we, c- if everybody was at the mm-hmm. point where it's like, I am not mm-hmm. putting up with this any further. My friend reminded me of the Gandalf scene where there's this big demon monster coming up yes. and he, he puts a stay. You he shall not pass. pass. <laughs> you know? And every once in a while that, that image will fly in my face. Even like, <laughs> even like the, not that this is little, but mm-hmm. even uh, little things like gossip when yes. you're at work with your family. Yes. When you hear that gossip, those stories, putting your staff down and saying, this isn't going to pass. Yeah. You exactly. shall not pass here. Mm-hmm. I just find myself getting really excited again about when you turn around an evildoer, then you turn around evil for good. Because in that, I'm like looking at my day and my life thinking, okay, this is my mission today. Mm -hmm. As I turn myself around more fully to God, then I'm causing bad things to happen uh, to change for the good. Yes. That's something everybody can do no matter where they're at, Mm -hmm. what's going on in their life, no matter how much they failed, messed up. They can do that. That's your mission yes. as the image bearer of God. Right? Yeah. And I love the, you know, the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But that's, that, you know, that's Leviticus 19, 18. Mm-hmm. But the verse that, that comes before the context of it, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, mm-hmm. but you shall surely reprove your brother, but don't carry out sin, don't bear a grudge and don't take vengeance, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So the context and, and love, you know, it's a sloppy word in our language, but love it, it from the Greek agape, mm-hmm. it comes from a word that means to highly esteem. So to greatly value, you shall so greatly value mm-hmm. the person that you are in, in relationship with, or the person that you're coming across or the person that you encounter that when you see something off, you know, don't you, you don't get don't take vengeance. Mm-hmm. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yep. God can take mm-hmm. vengeance without without sin, mm-hmm. and we're just not that good at mm-hmm. it. But nevertheless, to prayerfully say, Lord, this isn't okay. What can be done to turn this person around? I know my first husband. If somebody had stepped in, you know, the traumas, whatever things mm-hmm. that caused him, because most people who abuse were mm-hmm. abused. Mm-hmm. So people sure. who are abused either become abusers or. They, or become abused. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to look with compassion. God's mercy and his grace is always greater mm-hmm. than his judgment. Mm-hmm. God always Amen. desires for people to turn mm-hmm. around. And that's why God, you know, in God's wrath, it's like, come on, listen, wake mm-hmm. up. Don't, if you keep in this direction, the consequences are going to be very bad. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between karma, for instance. Yes, exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can wow. you talk about as, as, as we close the uh, your realization of ashes and the the garland. Yes, yeah. Um, in Isaiah sixty one and verse three, and of course Jesus quotes Isaiah sixty one verse one and two a in Luke chapter four, and that's Jesus' mission statement. So, but people would have known the context, mm-hmm. but uh, in um, in in the Hebrew and. Uh, to comfort those who mourn, to give to those who mourn. And I learned it originally in the King James, beauty for ashes. Mm-hmm. And then it continues on, you know. It, um, but just that word beauty for ashes. And Hebrew plays, has does a lot of word play, mm-hmm. and Isaiah is the master of mm-hmm. it. And um, and so the word ashes, so again, looking mm-hmm. at this word ashes, afar. And, um, uh, and ashes is what's left when there's nothing left. Ashes is what Job sat in as he mm-hmm. mourned. Ashes is what David's daughter Tamar put over her head after mm-hmm. she was raped and there were no consequences. Mm-hmm. Ashes is, you know, so it, it's a sign of mourning mm-hmm. uh, to sit in and especially putting ashes putting on, on your, your head. head. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, and then the word uh, beauty or it's a, a royal gar- uh, headdress and so forth, a turban, the same three letters, but the first two turned around, afar, pa'ar. 
And so mm-hmm. there, the message, there is a message in the Hebrew for that because mm-hmm. Hebrew does that. And and that word for garland, it's used in that same chapter to refer to the headdress of the bridegroom, I believe mm-hmm. in chapter, in uh, verse 10 of mm-hmm. 61. It's used earlier in Isaiah to refer to the fancy headdress of the wealthy women in, in Israel, but it's also used as the turban of the priests. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a special head covering. And so the message in it for those who mourn, is that God takes wants to take the very substance of the ashes of our lives, what is left when nothing is left, everything has been burnt up. There's God, I've got nothing mm-hmm. left, and God says, "Put this in my hands, and I will use that very substance. And instead of the ashes on your head, I'm going to turn it into a beautiful crown, mm-hmm. a thing wow. of beauty on your mm-hmm. head, a thing of majesty, of priesthood, of mm-hmm. joy." And then the same three letters are used at the end of the verse the Lord might be glorified. Hmm. This is the story of redemption. This is what God wants to do. He wants to take the ashes of our life and turn it into something beautiful on our head. And God can do that. And that is how God mm. is glorified. That is the story of redemption mm. that God wants for every one of us. Wow. Yeah. Man, I, man, I mean, not, now the point in the show is like to ask there any last words. Like, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. So, I mean, we've asked you questions or Sam has asked a lot of questions. Is there, is there any one thing that you would kind of like as the last word say, you know, to people who are listening? Well, my, in writing this book and, and I, this was an assignment mm. that I knew I had to mm. do because I want people to have hope mm-hmm. because I see so many people who don't have hope who feel trapped in their their trauma, trapped in their pain, trapped in whatever situation, trapped in their own grief, trapped even in their own inability to get out of the evils that they're doing. So mm-hmm. no matter what, where you're at, it's there is hope in God. And that's why this Isaiah mm-hmm. 61 passage is just so, this is to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, uh, to free the captives mm-hmm. and to set free those who are bound in prison. Mm-hmm. And we all have our prisons, we all have our mm-hmm. captivities, and we all have areas of brokenheartedness. And that is the good news. Mm-hmm. That is what God mm-hmm. came to do and to turn evil into good. Mm-hmm. So again, the book ends of Genesis, mm-hmm. evil enters the world. Uh, complicity, yes, with, with malevolent forces, but also our wanting to be God to mm-hmm. be in control and be in charge. And when we can give that to God and say, Lord, I can't run my own life well. Mm-hmm. I give you my pain. I give you my everything, my successes as well. You show me how to live mm. and uh, and to see God turn it around. Wow. And so again, the bookend of Genesis, you know, Joseph's story, just so beautiful. But God wants to mm-hmm. take the evil in our lives and turn it around for good. Mm-hmm. So many will be saved. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. About you, Sammy, any last thought, any last word? I just, I love the, the image of the ashes and mm-hmm. like that's, that's a source of, I just, the word potential comes in my mind. Yeah. Like where does potential come from? It comes from, well, like after the flood too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Everything's gone. Well, there's great potential. There's only like great potential when there's ashes, when there's a flood. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what God does. Yeah. And, um, I can't wait for this book to come out again to share with people. And I want to have you come back and uh, dig deeper into more of these. Yeah. So, well, man, well, thank you guys so very much for tuning in today. Um, Thank you, Ingrid Farrell, for being with us, man. It's been an honor, man. I've learned a lot. So thank you so much. This has been a, a great time. Kind of took the church live it today if you will or maybe seminary or something yeah. like that but uh, man it's been a joy hope you guys tune in to this episode man pass it along you can email us at barbastickerfaith at gmail.com you can get us on Apple Podcasts Spotify wherever you listen to your favorite podcast been a joy with you today have a good week and don't go stepping in no BS peace <laughs>